It's episode 105 of Milwaukee's Tailgate Brewers Podcast, part of the MKE Tailgate Podcast Network. I'm Ryan Topp, and I'm joined today, as always, by J.P. Breen over on the other side of the country. How are you doing, J.P.? Trying to do my best to uh, deal with the fact that like sports on the weekends are now extremely early over here. And so trying to trying to do my best to be able to make sure I have the sports uh, consumption that I would like to have, but also, you know, get a reasonable amount of sleep. Yeah. And at least Liverpool was at a reasonable hour. I mean, it was a 930 start for you, right? It was. But like most of the a lot of the baseball games here are starting at like nine or 10 o'clock in the morning, which which that's fine, which is fine. But uh, a lot of like, yeah, the soccer games in the morning are starting at like four in the morning. Yeah, those uh, what would have been before 630 starts in the central time zone. That's going to be rough, 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 rough on you. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, trying to trying to still navigate my sports watching uh, uh, schedule, which is clearly the most important thing for my weekends. (laughs) Oh, definitely. And uh, that other voice that you're hearing over on the other side there, that is Paul Noonan. And he is the host of Reporting is Eligible, our Packers podcast and why we're now a network instead of, you know, just us. Hi, everybody. Happy to be on the baseball podcast. Yeah, this is it's been uh, what, three weeks, three weeks. Yeah. And it's always fun. And um, we like we have so many topics for football next week just because Andrew Luck retired spontaneously yesterday, which is, I think, maybe the most shocking retirement in oh, probably football history, maybe sports like prime of his career quarterback making millions of dollars and um that not not a good sign for football generally i would say well at least he had like an extensive injury history some guys have just like flat out walked away like uh calvin johnson that's like true. he just walked and uh, like didn't ha- really have an extensive injury history he uh, just decided he was done i would say the only reason that's not more surprising is that it's the second lion to retire just kind of based on embarrassment um or not embarrassment but having to play for the lions because barry sanders did the same thing it's a precedent that that poor franchise they're so awful that they get like two of the best players of their position ever and they're so bad that they don't want to play for them so they just quit the game altogether but wasn't i would say wasn't uh like was it two or three years ago that chris borland just decided see that's that's the similar one that is um chris borland did pretty much the same thing just not as high profile as luck but you know very good player but yeah just decided it, it was going to take too much of a toll on his body and decided nope i'm not up for this anymore so I do kind of wonder if this might mark at the start of a bigger trend of guys kind of getting in, getting paid, and getting out sooner rather than later than people think. Yeah, which, you know, for people's health and whatnot, that's fantastic. Yeah. It's not a good thing for the sport, but the sport is going to have to figure out how to change that. So. Absolutely. Yeah. So so I do have a, I do have a football question. Is okay. that allowed? It's allowed. What What is what the hell is going on with Andrew, uh, like, uh, whatever... I don't remember his first name. Brown's like helmet thing. Oh, Antonio Brown's helmet. Antonio Brown. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, like, what the hell is that about? Well, he is an odd person, so um, part of it might be legitimate. A lot of people think he just did this to skip um, training camp as a, just a, a very um, out there story making way to not have to practice. Um, that is entirely possible. He, it's possible he just really likes his helmet and is weird and decided to put a stink up over it. But yeah, basically, for people who don't know, <laughs> this is a good ending on this too. Real quick, Antonio Brown decided he wasn't going to play because his helmet was outlawed. It was an old helmet. It fails all the safety tests. Um, he doesn't like any of the new ones, and he filed a grievance. Um, and the league immediately said, like, no, you lose your grievance. This is a safety issue. It's not a it's something we bargain over. Um, and... Um, so he he like filed another one, got shot down, and he, he finally has allegedly found a helmet he likes. But now he's having it custom tailored to him, and entering <laughs> a marketing deal with the helmet co- company that's doing it. So, but like, did he also take a helmet and like spray paint. Oh, oh it? yeah, yeah. So the, the whole saga, like he he took one of his old helmets and he spray painted it like a new helmet, and, <laughs> and a Raider coach noticed it because you you know you can't actually paint a helmet in a professional manner if you don't know how. He kept trying to sneak his helmet onto the field and. And he kept getting kicked out. It it, it was completely insane. Um, Antonio Brown, like he, he's always had rumored off the field issues, but when he was a Steeler, they didn't really pop up too much. Um, and then they decided to kind of get rid of him, and everybody was like, "Well, that seems extreme." And then as soon as he was gone from the team, like he turned into a Looney Tunes. So like they were doing a good job managing his personality over there, I think. And the Raiders are kind of a train wreck in terms of the organization, so they're not as good at keeping people in line as they should. Well, they've be. long been a home for the wayward Looney Tunes. So. And, I mean, now they're run by them, too. It's it's Well, it's, I mean, they probably have been for quite a while, too. Yeah. But yeah, it, it was a fun off-season saga, especially when he did try and sneak a, a helmet that he repainted onto the field and play in it. That was great. Um, 
we should have we should have a couple of Antonio Browns in every sport just to keep people entertained. Yeah. It's like one of those things where I'm like, that's such an incredible story. But then also like in the back of your mind, you're like, did football break him? Like, is that that is, is the that, uh, that is the unspoken other side to this is, you know, when football players start acting weirdly, you do kind of feel dirty about laughing yeah. at it because it is possible that football broke him for sure. I mean, it certain definitely happens to people, and that could also be. I will say he's he's had this red flag on him since he came out in the draft, so uh, it it it's not out of character for him to behave oddly. So at least there's that, but. Yeah. Um, it is it is still one of those things you do wonder about just because of what happens to people after they retire from football. I was going to say, this is like this is like the Chris Sale, like cut up all your jerseys because you didn't like the jerseys that they chose. Exactly. Yeah. Awesome. It, yeah. It, and, it's dead on. That seems a good comp. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Nice. Good. Yeah. You can help fans find the podcast by rating and reviewing Milwaukee's Tailgate on Apple Podcast and Spotify. We want listener questions. So follow Milwaukee's Tailgate on Twitter at MKE Tailgate. Email questions to milwaukees.tailgate at gmail.com or follow our Facebook page. You can also follow the three of us on Twitter. JP is ghostrunner on 2B. Ryan is RD Top. And I am Paul. Badger Noonan. And Steve is something else, but we're not even going to bother giving him the extra potential followers <laughs> today. So I'm not going to say his. It's not hard to find. I don't know it. how to say anybody's last name. I don't to see his either. So. Oh, his last name? Yeah. I said it wrong for the first 10 years I knew him, and he never corrected me. <laughs> and then I heard somebody else say it. I was like, oh, dude, right. you didn't even correct me on that for 10 years. Wait, so how'd you, how you say it in the past? I always said Garzinski. Oh, yeah. And it's because that's like the phonetic spelling of it, but it's actually the Polish uh, pronunciation, which is Garzinski. Which makes sense. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly. Anyway, uh, Milwaukee's Tailgate is sponsored by Carbon 4 Brewing, their English-style malt bombs, and perfectly balanced hop grenades. You know them for their great beers like Dragon Flute, Block Party, and their flagship Fantasy Factory IPA. If you're looking for a place to host your fantasy football draft, the K4 Tap Room on Kidsman Boulevard is offering two or buy two, get one free pitchers and a pitcher race for all draft parties. Call 608-241-4812. You can email Sammy, and that's S-A-M-M-I, at Carbon4.com. Or stop in and reserve a space today. As always, you get twenty percent off merch in the car- the Carbon Four web store with the promo code MKE Tailgate. Check out Carbon Four dot com for more information. Carbon Four, beer brilliance. On the on the topic of Carbon Four, we have a listener up in Canada who actually was uh, giving us the question whether or not Carbon Four is able to be like shipped to Canada because now they want some because they've been like <laughs> they've been hear- hearing about it. Yeah, so I don't, I don't know what the deal is with that, but you could try on the web store. I was going to say, now that we have a lawyer in the room, I was going to ask, is that something that is legal? So, uh, okay. Le- <laughs> Someone can take beer from the United States and give it to people in Canada. That's allowed. Distribution in Canada is tricky. Um, and I've been out of this biz for a little while now. It may have changed. But, um, I, it, like, okay, this might be way out of date, but my, my last understanding of Canadian beer law was um was actually based on all making it there which was that everybody every single province no matter how big small or dense um had to have uh, a distro and a manufacturer of what was served there i'm sure with imports that's not the case anymore but i'm guessing that there's a very draconian import scheme there there is in the united states too in a lot of states but um i bet it's tricky to do not this not say you can't do it but your best bet to get it is probably to drive over here and bring it back um most small breweries don't go through the rigmarole of distribution outside of the country. It's already hard enough to distribute inside the country. So um, I, I'm not, I can't speak for Carbon 4. Maybe they have huge plans to expand in Canada. Who knows? But uh, it is it is a, a hard thing to do unless you're a pretty su- sizable brewery. There you go. That's our, our um, unofficial legal advice. Yeah. I think we got the title for our episode this week, too, from that. So <laughs> we're good. All right. Um, so the brewers finished up their last road trip. And we talked last Sunday during the game, and we're talking again during the game. Brewers are down 5 nothing at the moment. But the Brewers went to St. Louis and had a very, very typical uh, St. Louis sort of series. Uh, the first game, Yasmani Grandal broke up a no-hitter in the eighth inning with a double. So they had a combined no-hitter going until the eighth inning. And the Brewers ended up losing 3 nothing. I think that was their only hit of the game. Uh not really much happened. It was frustrating and awful and just <laughs> a very St. Louisian game. 
either of you want to recall any of that or should we just move right on to the next bit of misery? The only thing I'll say on that is I've never been as confident that a team's going to lose like a 3 nothing game as I was in that game. They just looked like they weren't going to do anything. I know that's hindsight 2020 and they could have hit like a grand slam in the ninth, but it was a bad game to watch. It was boring, and especially from our perspective where we didn't have to know hitter to root for. So, yeah, I got nothing to say about that one. It was St. Louis garbage, and I moved on immediately. Yeah, I, I generally move on pretty quickly. Yeah. <laughs> All right. From the, so from wins and losses. The uh, the Tuesday game was awful in its own way. The Brewers did score two runs to take a two to one lead in the top of the sixth inning. And then the bottom of the sixth happened. And just to give you an idea, this was one of the more obnoxious St. Louis Cardinals innings you will ever find. Uh, it began with a bloop single. And then there was a questionable uh, hit by pitch where if it if it got him, it grazed the jersey. And then Yadier Molina got an infield single. So now you know things have yep. really gone completely you know, off the damn rails. It's not a good sign. It's never a good sign when that no. happens. And uh, I think at that point they brought in Alex Claudio. He got a strikeout. So I wasn't watching when that happened, FYI, because I don't actually see Alex Claudio record outs. Um, I was going to say, Alex Claudio <laughs> now like struck out his last three people he's actually I faced. Actually, I did. I did for the first time see Alex Claudio retire a batter this week, so I can't. Well, I mean, he's been really good since. The start I'm of aware January. of that, but I like I, I just randomly I would be like I would be out with the kids and following on Twitter, and he'd be getting people out, and I'd get home and start watching him, and he would get lit up. So I've now seen him get somebody out. Hopefully that trend is over, and he can actually just be good in front of me instead of when I'm not looking. So anyway, back to our story of the obnoxious sixth inning in in St. Louis that was absolutely awful. The uh, the next thing that happened was. Uh, Junior Garrett comes in and immediately starts getting squeezed. And I know you and I both reacted to this that like the strike zone just like vanished all of a sudden where he would be, had been giving the corners of the strike zone and all of a sudden Garrett does not get them. Yep. And we already thought Craig Council might get tossed from that game. I still don't know how he didn't get tossed because he had been arguing balls and strikes since like the second inning. But you had a walk to tie the game at two and then they got an out. So with two outs and the bases still loaded, you had one of the more inexplicable plays you'll ever see in baseball where the ball gets popped into shallow left. And, I mean, what happened? Ryan Braun just, like, ran the other direction? Like, what what happened there? I don't have a good – actually, I do not have a good explanation for what happened on that play because it was weird and Braun acted in a weird way. Um, and I got nothing other than he, he must have lost it or, or something or somebody called it and he was getting out of the way. But, I was gonna say he he uh he gave a uh a talk after like he oh, did, did he? A I miss okay press conference afterwards and he said he said he made a mistake he thought that uh the other person was going to be able to get, get it, it but okay. he said he said it should have just been my ball the whole time and I should have went and gotten it but I just thought the other person could get there yeah because he was the one running in on the baseball as opposed well, to and, running back on it right and he wanted to avoid an injury is my guess yeah right? probably so. avoid an injury he should have called it and he should have he should have called it like extremely aggressively and basically said this is mine 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 but he basically said we're gonna hit each other and he was like i think they can get it and he just pulled out yeah and so he kind of ran off to the side the ball falls uh all three because there were two outs they'd been running on contact. on contact so all three runners score and that was it. Like it was five to three at that point. The game ends up being nine to four, but really that inning is what sunk the Brewers in the most Cardinalsian way. It happens. Yeah. Just against them more often than it seems it should. Yeah. So anyway, uh that game was awful. And then on uh on Wednesday, the Brewers score four runs in the first and scored another run to get to five, and then had a chance to really blow it open at one point they had the bases loaded and one out maybe no outs they had a chance to completely take control of the game didn't and then st louis starts scoring and in some st louis ways they have i don't know hit and run or something happen in there um and for a while it really looked like bad things were going to happen fortunately mother nature stepped in and stopped that game <laughs> did you guys catch that it had been like ruled official yeah, well, I saw it. I saw it online that it was ruled official. Yep. Um, but it was one of those things that I was just like, Mother Nature, proven closer for the Brewers. Let's go. <laughs> yeah, because let's get it done. Uh, but I did. I I just want to take it back to one thing that you were talking about with the Junior Guerra thing because I, I saw a bunch of people complaining about it, and I actually went onto Brooks Baseball to look at what was happening. He didn't have a single pitch in the zone 
called a ball. And actually, he had one that was outside the zone that was called a strike that probably shouldn't have been. But he didn't have a single pitch the entire time that he was in. And I know that you're going to say that they were probably calling it like whatever, but you can't have it both ways. You can't say that you want the strike zone to be right. And then other times say that you want it to be consistent because well, then I saw a couple of days ago that you were saying calling it both ways is not is not sufficient. Then I want to change my complaint to the fact that the Cardinals pitcher was getting too many strikes earlier. Right. Instead of Garrett not getting enough late. Right. That's it's, thereby the making issue my is complaint consistent. When he said, yeah, it, this was about what the established strike zone was at that point, which was the those corners on the bottom of the zone were getting called a lot for Michael Walker and then they disappeared for Junior Guerra. So I'm actually looking at the uh, strike zone for the entire game. And there was I knew not, you would be. there was uh there was one pitch outside the zone that was called a strike. And that was actually to Junior Guerra. Everything else looks like it was pretty solid all game. So I'm not, I don't want to say, well, to actually there were uh, two more outside the zone to righties that were called in favor of the Brewers, but not the Cardinals. So um, I'm just saying that maybe it was a, uh, uh, a manifestation of just being frustrated about the Cardinals more generally and not actually, you know, the strike zone being bad. I don't know. I don't think that I'm subject to biases like that. No, kidding. Everybody <laughs> is. You're probably right. Well, I, I don't know if I'm right. I'm just saying that this but, is what baseball says. I don't know. You're, you're looking at you're looking at graphs. So you're probably right. I was going to say, I don't have any capacity to understand strikes and balls. I'm just looking at Brooks baseball to see what it says. All right. So anyway, yeah, the, oh, oh, the, the rain they, shortened game yeah. on Wednesday was yeah i honestly i thought there was no chance they were going to hold on those last two innings though josh Hader hasn't pitched in like a month now at this point so which i think they're they're actually glad because there had been some issues with him so i think they're kind of taking this chance as a reset for him but we will uh we will see when he does come back out and pitch in a game how he looks he usually well, has been okay coming off of long layoffs so i was gonna say like it was interesting because everybody was looking at last sunday and saying like this was the turning point where like josh Hader had finally figured it out and now he hasn't been pitching for a while but you know damn well if he if he pitches badly everyone's just gonna say this is because like council didn't get him in the game and let him rest too long yep that is true it will be blamed for whatever he has been doing lately so but it's it is it's a, it's a tough spot because um like, I don't know. I don't necessarily know if like this pertains to individual pitchers, but I would imagine like Paul, the cluster luck thing that you were talking about in the past, I would imagine that also like pertains to relief pitchers, especially when it comes to home runs and things like that too. Right. Yeah. Almost certainly so. And I, I mean, it's hard to make any, there've been a lot of pieces on hater this week and about how his, when there is contact, it is crushed, but he's certainly been just unlucky. Like there's no doubt about that. Like, even if you throw meatballs, all the time like they shouldn't go out at the percentage they're going out with him that's ridiculous so like he is definitely the he's maybe the victim of himself a little bit the juice ball for sure but like he's had bad luck to go along with it and it looks i mean it looks bad and it's bad to give up home runs but he still misses bats and he still is incredible at doing that so uh i mean it'll this will probably all even out and he may give up i mean he will give up more home runs but maybe not as damaging maybe not as high profile maybe not quite as you know, clustered together so that everybody notices them as a, as a recent problem. Yeah, and I think also some of it was that they were coming with runners on, not always even runners he put on, but just there were runners on base, so they were big, impactful, game-swinging like things. Earlier in the season, I actually feel like he got kind of lucky the other way on some of the home runs he was giving up, where he was giving up solo shots with multi-run leads and then just getting out of it, um, and that has, I think, come back a little bit the other way, which, of course, also happens, so... Yeah, I was actually just pulling it up to take a look because I was like, I wonder if Josh Hader is actually giving up like home runs per fly ball, basically, yeah. wh whether that percentage was one of the highest in the league. It is. He's in the top 10. He's yep. number seven it overall. Definitely. Where's um, Corbin Burns in there, Breen? I don't know. He hasn't thrown 50 innings, so I didn't look up. Uh, okay. But, but I, what I will say is the fourth most in all of baseball won you Darvish. Yeah. Just in case people want to make themselves feel better and yeah. like make. That, I feel better now. I, I, I do. I but, good. I mean, that's kind of the thing with you, Darvish. He has largely cut down on the other problems. He's not walking nearly as many batters, but he is still having the home run trouble. So, yeah. I will say, uh, Corbin Burns, if you actually bring down the bring down the like uh, minimum innings, is absolutely number one in all of baseball. Yeah. Uh -huh. And that's going to have to get... 
and they are working on that. Actually, we saw some news this week that he was kind of being shut down for the rest of the year, and he's going to work in their new facility in Arizona where he has access to all kinds of technology to be able to see like where the ball is going, where the spin is, all of those things, and he can start trying to figure out what's wrong. And the main thing, we were talking about this, actually, JP and I were the other day, the main thing is he needs to throw the ball up in the zone more. That force needs to be up. It, like you, as soon as you take a cursory look at him, that's obviously a problem that he does not do that nearly enough. Like it's weird that it, 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 uh, of all the things you can fix about a guy like Burns, that seems like like one just where you throw seems like one you should be able to do pretty quickly. And I, I don't know, just seems like a strange thing that it doesn't happen more often. Yeah, yeah, I say because Corbin Burns has, in general, with his pitches, um, done what like was the conventional wisdom about ten years ago which is basically pound low and away. Right. And, and so against righties, he absolutely, if you look at the, the heat map, he is pounding the zone with both his fastball and slider down and away every single time. And against lefties, he tries to basically bust them in both down and up. And when you look at what, uh, where he gets absolutely blasted, it's inside the lefties and it's down against righties. And in general, what you would like to be able to see is, I don't necessarily have as big of a problem with him trying to bust lefties inside because you're going to have to do that. Maybe he can do it with his cutter a little bit more if he wants to kind of develop his cutter again, which he was using quite a bit before when he was in the minors. But certainly against righties, you do want to be able to change the eye level a bunch because if you're only pitching low and away every single time with both of your pitches, you're not changing the eye level whatsoever. Guys can start to act absolutely like zone in on where you're going. And it's what most... It's basically what what most uh, teams are doing now is they're basically saying you want to throw your fastball up and you want to throw your off speed stuff down so you can consistently change eye angles or uh, eye levels. You can make guys uncomfortable and you can make them not just zone in on one part of the zone against what you're doing. Corbin Burns has struggled with that this year. Yep. And hopefully, I mean, this is a thing that's happening all over the game now. The Houston Astros secret sauce. I mean, it's not even a secret, except that they seem to be the ones who have the most success converting pitchers this way is four seamers up, curveballs down. And kind of shelve most well, of your other pitches. What I was so I wrote about this uh, on Twitter a little bit with uh, with Wade Miley, and it's actually they're doing the same thing with him, except it's it's uh, fastball up, change up, down. It's about changing eye levels with your off speed pitches, right? Uh, and and the Astros are the most famous with it, just because they've done it with like Justin Verlander and guys like that. Um, but as you but see, also with, you know Charlie Morton and a, a wide variety of guys, really. Yeah, I think Charlie Morton's uh, big step forward was the fact that he all of a sudden started throwing 98, um, where he was like throwing 92, 93 before that. But I think the other thing to realize is that some of the things about the the Astros where they're just kind of infallible when it comes to pitching uh, is take a look at Aaron Sanchez, who everybody took a look, took a look at and said, oh, look, his first his first outing was, a, you know, he didn't allow a single hit. He's fantastic. And he's absolutely imploded again. You have to still be a dude who has good stuff and can like locate your pitches yep. and if you can do that then you can actually take steps forward with your location to be able to maximize it all right so moving on to the weekend series friday night was quite a moment in uh, this brewer season you had jordan lyles go six no hit innings but he threw 99 pitches to get through those six innings so it wasn't really a surprise to anybody who like understands baseball in 2019 and even like a cursory way at this point you knew he wasn't going to finish the game there was no way he was going to get those last nine outs at n already at 99 would, pitches so not, I was gonna say, he even said he was tired he did and that's i was going to get to that so he gets pulled and devin williams comes in and i think what two batters in gives up the hit it was so yeah it was too it was just one of those things where he, you kind of knew it might happen but he gave up a hit but it was a stoinker it was not a solid hit at all Lyles had g given up contact similar to that all game and just one of those that found a spot and uh, it was unfortunate but like he pitched well other than that and it was just bad timing that it happened to be a no hitter um and um I was at this game it was it was a fun one to be at I was at the prospectus event and um you know what there's you start to get some excitement once Jordan Lyles gets through like five with a no hitter but yeah everybody was like well he's, he's maybe gonna get through seven but that's that's gonna be all for him and that was about right so and I mean, if they had pushed him through the seventh inning, like he noted that he told counsel that he was tiring, his velocity was down in that sixth inning. He was throwing two, three miles yeah. an hour slower than he had been earlier in the game. And Grandall also noticed it and said something to counsel as well. 
it was like the biggest non-issue ever. They I, all kind of acknowledged. I would say so. Like once it's clear you're not going to finish the game, it doesn't. I mean, if he goes seven instead of six in a combined no hitter, who cares? Like that nobody's going to remember the extra inning he he managed to get through. So yeah, yeah. I think I think for me, like if a if a starter wants to stay in and they're like, I want to do this, even if I'm going to pitch 130 innings, like I'm about it. I, I understand it's yeah. not like the smartest thing going forward, but it's a no hitter. Let's like give him a shot. Let's do it. Um, but if like the pitcher himself and the catcher are just like this dude needs a break, uh, then yeah, you just you just make the move. The issue with that though of letting them kind of decide, there is. I think this is definitely more of a thing in the past. I can't imagine somebody with a no hitter, eat ten fifteen years ago, going to the manager and saying, "Hey, skip, I'm done." <laughs> like I don't. That doesn't feel like a thing that would have happened very often back then and maybe it wouldn't happen that often now but you don't don't say do you want to come out you say how are you feeling feeling yeah yeah and see where it's at and then maybe perhaps if you have the data and say hey you know your fastball is down three miles an hour from where it was earlier in the game how are you feeling i think i can say you have the data you can just look at the scoreboard yeah well it's what i'm saying if you have access to the number and you can just say look this is what's happening right now i think it's overstated how much pitchers like our game to stay in. like obviously some guys are going to be like that but i think there's like a like almost like not not a code but like when you get asked how you're feeling and you want to seem like i can maybe half-hearted like i can go another inning i can go another two that's the signal to the manager like he can't he needs to get out now like yeah so and, we then, a- there, and then there's the other side where you have max scherzer that like just screams at his manager yeah. i want him <laughs> i want him and and then everyone just goes oh, okay max like yeah, you can you can stay. That's fine. Mm-hmm. Nobody's going to mess with that. There's a great there's a phenomenal gif of it where he just is absolutely berating it and you can you can you can see him. He's like, "I want him. I effing want him." <laughs> and the manager just like doesn't even bother. He just turns around and says like, "Yeah, okay." <laughs> Who was it? Dave Martinez? He's just like, "Yeah, okay." Let's yeah, I don't even remember. It might have been Jim Riggleman as well. I'm not necessarily sure who the ma- the manager was, but it was just funny how they came up and you could see like he was about to ask him how he's doing and, and Scherzer's like just screaming at him. And the manager just turns around and goes, yeah, OK. Well, I guess Great. it's better than firing the ball into the uh, center field stands like uh, one Trevor Bauer did. I know, but like my the the point that I think is like missed in that one. Is like that was an impressive throw. <laughs> well, you know who wasn't impressed with <laughs> that was, throw? That's true. Terry like, Francona dude, was not impressed with that throw because he like, he gave him the iciest stare, told him to get his ass in the dugout, and then was traded like three days later. So I know, but like everybody talks about like Bryce Harper when he makes an incredible throw from you know whether it's like the warning track and then just like throws it on an absolute line to third base or when Cespedes used to do that from the left field or the right field, nope, left field corner and get it to home. Like, <laughs> Like Bauer, I was just like, dude, just absolutely threw a rocket over the <laughs> over the over the fence, and I was like, put him in the outfield. Let's see how that arm can work. All right, so we have a question from Rob Beasley on Patreon here. If Devin Williams hadn't given up the hit and the no hitter was kept alive through seven, who does Council turn to in the eighth and ninth? And I think that, so. The question here is, is it Hater is it for Hater? Both? I, I like that question because um, it, it, it you can. I mean, if Hader's going to give up a hit, it's going to probably be a home run, but he's very like unlikely to give up hits. So um, if you want to string that together with Hader for a couple innings, I think probably yes. Um, I don't, it, I'm not sure how much they cared about the no-hitter. That's the only thing. But I would like... Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Well, no, I was going to say, do you, is there a chance that you leave Devin Williams in for two if he doesn't give up a hit in the first? That's a good question, too. Maybe so. Um, I think Hader's pitching the ninth. If it's intact and you're in the ninth inning, given yeah. how he'd been yeah. used... I definitely and... agree with that. I, I, maybe maybe you do go with Williams. If he gets through a second, then you go to Hader. If there's no getting in trouble on a no hitter though. It's either you do it or you don't. So right, um, because I, like if you leave Hater in for two innings, basically, then you're busting him on one that wasn't even a close game. That's true, and that's not a good thing to do. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, 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 they probably don't care that much about no hitters, like especially combined no hitters internally. Uh, well, I would say that Council doesn't. I would imagine the pitchers do. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Well, and I think that. The team, too, if it's something to rally the team together and get everybody kind of, you know, excited and happy and whatever, council's not going to say, well, that is meaningless. Yeah. I, like, he'll value it a little bit at least. I, he's probably not going to stick. Like, let's say they hypothetically have like an eight nothing lead and a no hitter. 
he's probably not going to stick trash out there to finish it if it's close to being a no hitter. Like they yeah. probably care enough that they'd go to a you know a good to you know goodish reliever to try and get it done. Um, I, I don't now. I, now I want to see it happen because I'm really not sure. I would like to actually know the answer to this question. Well, I think it's interesting he picked Devin Williams because Devin Williams does have very good stuff and has done a good job of limiting hits in the minors this year. So I think that there was at least some thought there. Well, I'm not going to use one of my best relievers, but I am going to use a guy who can miss bats and does keep people off the bases. You know, if he's going to put somebody on, there's a decent chance it's a walk instead of a hit. So, and there was no perfect game or anything intact. So that wasn't a concern. So anyway, uh, Saturday, the Brewers had a very comfortable four, nothing win. Um, Anything to really note about that. It, It was fine. It, I enjoyed it. We were yeah, it not was, painting at that point, so it was good. I was going to say, it feels, you know, the, the standard games in which it, it's like the 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 definition of why people only remember bad games. Because it's like the, the game in which they win and it's like comfortable. Yep. You're just like, yeah, I because like, to be honest, I don't even remember who pitched that game now. I was just trying to remember and I was like, it was Chase Anderson, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Chase Anderson and had a good like, start. I and I like don't really remember much of it. I, I mean, I it was a nice, relaxing, not stressful win, which is nice to have once in a while. But yeah, I, they're really not that memorable. It was it was just good to decompress on one for, you know, a, a little bit of time after either getting annihilated by the Cardinals or winning in the fifteenth inning against people. So, uh, yeah. But it, good performance, good job by the team, like good pitching, uh, timely hitting, all, good all around. And we should yeah. talk a little bit about Sunday's game so far. Uh, Zach Davies pitched okay, gave up. Uh, a couple home runs there. One was a solo shot. One shouldn't have happened, period. The Christian Walker one, that inning should have been over. He was let down by his defense somewhat. Uh, both the that was first inning, two runs, and the uh, the run in the fourth really shouldn't have happened. They were defensive miscues that, that caused that. So, I don't know. He's he's looked okay since coming back off the DL. His first start against St. Louis on uh, on Monday night was very solid. So, but like you mean just in terms of judging Zach Davies, right? Yes. Because like because like defensive, the defensive part of the game is still like a thing your team has to do. Oh no no, I'm talking about from Davies' perspective because he yeah, was okay. coming off that DL stint and he's really looked pretty fine since coming back. There's, I'm not super concerned. He doesn't seem to have the same issues he did when he went on the DL, which was missing a lot of pitches over the heart of the plate and getting lit up. Yeah, I would say like I think. For me, I think the most interesting thing has been, you know, watching because like we've talked a lot about the fact that the Brewers philosophy for their starting rotation has basically been battled, like battling the lack of quality with uh, like extreme quantity and basically saying, like, can you throw enough guys at it where you can figure out a, a, a rotation where five guys are kind of on the good side of their variance uh, and, and when not, you know, take one of them out, put somebody else in and see if that one works. If not, take them out, put somebody else in, see what kind of, you know, right? Like just kind of the idea of like depth being your strategy rather than like identifiably quality pitchers across the board. And like, uh, I think Chase Anderson, we've still seen that volatility on any given start is like, he can get absolutely bombed and then can, can do well. Davies is the same way. And I was going to say that I think one of the under kind of, Jordan Lyles has been that way too. He's had a couple of not good starts at all, but he's also been pretty solid for a lot of other starts. And I think that, you know, like it's a, it's, it's exactly what the Brewers want to be able to do with their starting rotation right now, because they didn't have the pieces to go out and get the high profile starters that, you know, maybe we would have preferred, but they were like, we're going to continue to just add arms to it. And we're going to try to cobble something together. And hopefully we can get into a spot in which, they're pitching well enough to make it worthwhile. And if not, they've shown this week and you know, this is something that you're going to talk about, but they're showing very, very much that they're willing to just cut bait. Yeah. Um, I said to Steve, when they picked up Jordan Lyles, I'm like, if he can give them two starts where he keeps the team in the game and he leaves either with a lead or, you know, tie or close to a lead, something like that. I don't care what he does in the other one. He can get blown to the moon for all I care. Like it doesn't make any difference. Just keep them in games in those other starts and it's fine. And that's exactly what he's been able to do. He's kept them in games and, you know, he has had a few bad blow up starts and chase Anderson had the mother of all bad blow up starts last Sunday. True enough. 
they're they're kind of rounding into like what they were last year a little bit. If it, like in terms of the starters being what we just described, I mean, it'd be nice to have Woodruff back, but not for a bit. Um, but if they can get the bullpen a little bit more solidified, and there's a chance that happens based on some of the recent moves they made. I mean, maybe not. There's a chance it doesn't, but they they they're starting to look a little bit more like they were at the end of last year, just in terms of their ability to to you know work their starters through enough innings to get to a bullpen that is. Yeah, getting a little bit better, maybe. Well, and what's coming too is the Craig Council Mega Bullpen. So well, yeah. you're going to have in September. He's going to have. We're going to have 15 to 18 pitchers who are generally okay, and he's going to just run through them like crazy. And you're not going to see, you know, quick games at all in September. But the last two Septembers, they have really excelled when he has managed that way. So well, what? But one of the things that I would question and like, cause if we're talking about like rounding their rotation into last year, I, I take the point, but the one thing that I think was extremely identifiable about last year's starting rotation is they were, there were two pitchers that council was willing to let go. Yep. And if they, he, they got into tough spots, they, he was willing to trust them and he was willing to rely on them for deep starts. And that was Miley. And that was Shasin. I don't know who those guys are this year. Yeah, I don't, I mean, there are guys that can do well. That's that's not saying that yeah. there are guys that can do well, Ryan. I saw that you were about to jump in and say that well, there are guys. I was going to get to the the question or the the point here. So Brandon Woodruff at this point is going to be back at the middle of September at the earliest. We had news this week that he had started doing 120 foot long toss, and but he is still not on a mound, getting ready to come back, and he's going to have to do some sort of. Uh, some sort of at least simulated games. Part of the problem is the minor league season is quickly running out here and he may not have the ability to go down and do rehab starts. It may be a situation where he has to go to instructional ball. I would say he might, uh, it seems more and more likely that he goes, he's a multi-inning guy in the bullpen. Right. Which he is familiar with and has done. So that's not like a whole new thing for him, but it's going to be middle of September at the earliest is what they're saying. And, I don't know that we necessarily count on seeing him again. If the team is not in it, you would think they wouldn't really, or if they're not in it, I should say, you wouldn't necessarily think they're going to push to bring him back. But um, do, you still, do you still have your tin tinfoil cap theory that they're just like, no, 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 that's yeah. that's out the window. That that's, that that was fun while it lasted, and I I had Andy uh, Andy Schaff who's been on this podcast several times. I had him somewhat like buying in, but yeah, now that. That's uh, that's not happening. Anyway, other moves this week. And this came as something of a surprise, though I guess maybe it shouldn't have uh, as much as it, it did. Um, you had Ben Gamble being optioned. And the way that this works is because he won't be down for 20 days in the minor leagues this year. He'll be back as soon as uh, as the rosters expand and his 10 days in the minors are done. He's probably very, very consoled by that fact, too. Well, it's weird, though, because if he'd been down more, if he'd been down exactly 20 days, then they wouldn't have the option for yep. next year, but then he wouldn't have been on the team all year. So, like, you know, it, it kind of cuts both directions with that. But he will still have an option for next year, so the Brewers will maintain that flexibility, which is good for them, not great for him. But but what they lose, though, is he's not going to be eligible for the postseason roster. Um, Is you that true? To, you have to be up by the end of August, and he's not going to be down for 10 days at that point. I thought that a player who had been up for like the majority of the season that didn't apply to. I thought it was only if you were coming up like for the first time. Uh, that that could be. I don't. I don't. Uh, that seems like a weird loophole, but that very well could be and might explain why they've just decided to do this. If somebody gets hurt, they can also bring him back, right? That's... Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, that's. I mean, K. Rod in, in two thousand and two, but you're didn't still pitch before September. You're still on the major league roster, even if you're on the the DL right. or the I. Right. Um. So Corey Spangenberg gets called up and. He was called up basically for a left-handed bat. They wanted somebody who could swing from that side of the plate. This is not particularly big news, is it? Anybody really want to stand for Corey Spangenberg here? Nope. Nope. All right, moving on. So the big, big, big news out of this was that to make room on the 40-man for Spangenberg, they had to DFA Yuli Shasin, which means his time with the Brewers probably has come to an end. And he was set to be a free agent this offseason anyway and was still coming back from injury. And we already talked about the fact that they have a million pitchers for September. So it wasn't like they needed just, you know, him to cover innings. Sorry, I'm going to correct myself because 
you know, I decided to be an adult and actually look it up. Um, it's anyone on the 40 man roster by August 31st. Oh, all right. It, the postseason it's not they don't have to be up on the 25 man roster it's anyone on the 40 man roster or anybody who is on the 60 60 day uh il as of 11 59 p.m eastern time august 31st is eligible to be on the postseason regardless if they're on the 25 man roster okay so ben gamble is postseason eligible which will come as great comfort to his family i'm sure so um anyway yulia shasin was dfa'd and he is gone um presumably not to be brought back though i guess stranger things have happened we thought hernan perez was gone and yeah. that didn't happen so um thoughts on yuli shasin like as kind of a a goodbye wrap up to his brewer's career paul um uh, it seems weird that he got as bad as he did i i wonder if he is a little bit more of a a, a juiced ball victim than some other guys might be um not just with the home runs that fly out but with the the, the, the things you hear about the grip not being as as good as it used to, just because um, I know his his command stat at Baseball Prospectus was like the worst in the league, and it's not like it's forte, but like that's that's a substantial decrease from what he usually is. Um, yeah. and you know he's not a fireballer. He he depends on he depends on locating the ball more than anybody. Not anybody, but that's his thing. Um, so I do kind of wonder if this is just not a good year for a guy with his profile to to be successful, and and it cost him. Um. It, I don't know. Unfortunate because I know they were counting on him a lot, and it would be good to have him in his previous form right now. But he wasn't getting it done, and regardless of the reason, um, that's that, that's how it goes sometimes. So, yeah, I think for me there are a couple of things that pop out uh, immediately. Number one, I do think the fact that he is DFA'd will, I don't know, like it, it'll kind of taint his brewer's career at least in terms of the memory of folks because i think it's going to be a little bit like the sean markham thing where they just like forget that he was actually one of the key reasons that they were good for quite a long time during his tenure there or and, randy wolf or kyle loesch right just and just remember the back end of it to the point that you know that colors everything that happened prior and i do think it's worth remembering that that chassin was an absolute workhorse for the brewers in 2018 it yeah. was one of the reasons they made the postseason and won the nl central as a whole well and you're talking about a two-year what was it 16 million dollar contract he made much more than that in terms of value just last year. Take anything you did this year out of context. He earned every penny of that and significantly more just last year. So it's his uh, his war per dollar was uh, very, very high, which I'm sure he'll be happy about as well. <laughs> um, and I, I do think the one one thing that I'm a little bit surprised that they DFA'd him and didn't decide to see if he could be a reliever. Because one of the things that I noted last year uh, when he was signed and, you know, I think my my immediate reaction was like, this is super boring when when they signed him. Um, I think that was like my official stance on the podcast was a, like I just was really bored by it mostly. And it was. It was looking at what he could be in the future. I thought that it was going to be a situation in which they were going to to kind of use him as a starter in 2018 as an innings eater with the idea that he was so good against righties for a long period of time, that his fastball slider combination was so good against righties that they were viewing him as a potential reliever for 2019. And obviously he was so good in 2018. They kept him in the starting rotation in 2019. It didn't necessarily work out. So does that but maybe it, suggest to you then that perhaps the health isn't likely to be there by the time they get deep into September? Yeah. I mean, it, it could be, but I do think that it's still notable that even this year when he struggled for so long, he the vast majority of his underlying stats show that he was terrible against lefties um and was still pretty good against righties and yeah he did still give up a lot of base hits and his batting average on balls in play was super super high but he still was striking out almost 11 per 9 against righties his his walk rate was down near 3 and it was way way better cuz like his k per 9 against lefties was 4.66 and he was almost walking five per nine against lefties. Like against lefties, he just like wasn't getting it done. It just wasn't working this year. His his whip was like crazy high. He was giving up a bunch of home runs. And he was still giving up home runs against righties. But like underlying, you could say, could you see if he could go an inning against righties and just be an absolute lockdown dude against it and be able to rely on his slider a little bit more? I'm surprised that they didn't even give that a look, especially going to the time in which you were going to have a 40-man roster uh, and allow it to play a little bit there. I have a question for you guys here. Uh, this is from Emergency P on Twitter. 
He asks, with the news that Chassin has been DFA'd and the struggles of Jeffress and others, I heard that some pitchers are trying are, are saying that they can't properly grip the baseball this year. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, it's absolutely true. Yeah, it's uh, true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they were saying that not only is is the dragon issue, but it's been postulated in, in many circles that's actually one of the big reasons why walks have been up across the league this year. And blisters that. have also been up? I I do not know yeah, about that. I don't that. know about that. It, it was it was a topic at at Prospectus night with the Prospectus guys there and they seemed pretty much across the board that it is, you know, it is definitely a thing that it, that is true that that pitchers definitely are complaining about legitimately um and it it is just harder to it, because if it's like this command it than it usually is and um you know, some guys are better at dealing with that than others and um it is having a tangible effect in addition to the ball flying farther. So well, yeah. and and when you are throwing it and the drag is is less than you're used to, that also does matter when it comes to actually commanding it, even if you can, you know, grip it well, right? right? It's it's the same idea that like the ball is just not doing what Shasin has been used to it doing for twenty years, yeah. and then all of a sudden having to adjust to it. Exactly. So it's a it's a tough situation. I I don't. I don't know if that's like the the only reason whatsoever, uh, of course, but I think that it's an absolute good point that it it is a contributing factor. I don't think that there's any any doubt about yep. that. How big of a contributing factor? I don't I don't pretend like I know that. Yep, I, yeah, I, that's I think still up for debate. The the bigger issue is probably still just the fact that it it goes really far when it's hit. But uh, it, it it I mean it's definitely a problem for pitchers and understandably so when you work. Like when you work out all the time for many, many years and you throw the same thing with the same motion and it does the same thing and all of a sudden some minor thing changes and it's not happening anymore, you can't just adjust on the fly to it. That's not how pitching works. No. Yeah. And pitchers who can make adjustments seem to have been doing better. Like if you've been able to tweak some things as opposed to guys who are more set in their ways, it's it's been something of a problem. So uh, Jay Google asks, which starter are you rolling out to play in a play-in game? Or also for like a three game series. And this gets back to something you guys brought up a little bit earlier. It's not really clear right now, well, right? If I have Woodruff back, he's the obvious answer. Um, if he looks good. If he, yeah, I mean, all things aside of if he's gotten back to normal. If not, I don't know. I think that's a hard question. I could see the argument for doing the bullpen game at that point, um, but the bullpen is not super deep. I, I guess my I would probably even though I said he maybe should be DFA'd like four podcasts ago I might roll with Chase on that one. Um, he's been pretty consistent. He's been good at getting through games. He gets rocked once in a while too, but so does everybody else in the rotation. It'd be between him and Davies for me. I, I, I'm probably just go with who is hotter at the moment. Honestly, I'd probably just go with whoever is lined up to go yeah i mean that's probably as rational as anything else that you could do i mean yeah. any thought to maybe match up dependent like if a team has a lot of left-handed uh power hitters oh like if you can sucker the cardinals into the freddie peralta lineup again yeah maybe do something along those lines but um, yeah i mean if if they're gonna face somebody that just has a bunch of lefties i'm probably not gonna like say here jordan lyles go and do it like here you go um because the numbers show that he really struggles again uh, uh he really struggles with that this year but I do think that the biggest thing that I would want to do is if I was worried about that, I don't I would want to set it up ahead of time that they could get regular rest, that they would be working on a regular routine and they would be able to go with that. And I'm not sure that you would know who your opponent is early enough to be able to really determine yeah, good point. what the matchup would be and then still set up with regular rest. I would still want just somebody because like I would just say whoever is set up for that day um, and say you know what you're going to get regular rest you're going to do your regular routine we're going to trust you like we have been been always and just go for it and then council would basically be like any sign of trouble you're done you're yeah yeah which i think is kind of what he would do anyway i mean there aren't really many pitchers he would stick with through a hairy situation in a winner take all game like that's not his mo at all there's yeah, nothing in his history that would suggest that. So yeah, I would say like last year, I think there were two of them. Uh, it was it was Shasin and it was Miley that he he had shown that he was willing to to give them an opportunity. But to look get at out. Game Seven of the NLCS. He didn't trust Shasin even at that point. He pulled him pretty quick in that situation and got to hate her fast. I I guess yeah, but I'm saying like if if you're saying like there is not even a guy like Shasin this year in the rotation to say that. Nope, they're all the same. That I think yeah. that that's the lesson here is. 
whoever is lined up to do it, unless they have some some huge like platoon disadvantage or something like that. Um, but if they're on regular rest in their normal rotation like spots, that's what just what you do because nobody's better than anybody else in any given day. So here's yeah. a really quick one. <laughs> uh, John Staskunas asks, is there a Quentin Berry type ready to be called up for the September rosters, JP? No, it's depressing that there's not. I that am, is your thing. Like I like weird things in baseball, and I like players that just basically are brought in to do one thing. I do. I was wondering if there was anybody like Quentin Berry who could potentially be signed like two days prior to to September. Yeah. But I don't. I think right now the Brewers are there aren't many dead spots on the forty man roster more generally that they could just make that move and. I think that they're going to want to maximize their pitching staff much more than kind of steal an extra base or two. It could be why, I mean, cause like Spangenberg could still be that guy. Like he's, he's not going to be the same kind of, of base dealer, but I think we've also seen that Craig council is just not that worried about stealing bases. So uh, we have a question from longtime friend of the pod. Uh, Steve Gershinsky asks, Trent Grisham is now hitting 226, 295, 435. Is Ryan still the conductor on the hype train? And I would just like to point out to Steve that after Saturday night's game, because he sent this right before, and he, he literally sent this right before he hit a home run. He did. It was about like a minute before he hit a home run. It was pretty great. Yep. Uh, and he is now hitting, Trent Grisham is now hitting 232, 308, 482. Uh, aside from anything that might have happened on Sunday, I'm not watching the game that closely at this point. So... Um, yes, still the conductor on the, uh, the Trent Grisham hype train. So I was going to say, um, like that is below average everywhere else, but power. Yeah, it is. Um, though the split between the, uh, the batting average and the on base is fairly solid now. That's been, he's been taking a few more walks. He took a walk last night. So, Mm, yeah, that's true. Um, it's really, he's like a three for five away from being like 300. like uh, the point is that it's really impossible to make any long-term decisions based on what Trent Grisham does in like three weeks of part-time play, right? No, and what he's what he uh, has what shown at the plate has been impressive in terms of being able to attack pitches. And I don't know if he has really looked like he's attacked pitches. Uh, I I'm not necessarily sure I would agree with that. But what I will say is that the Brewers still did that with Jonathan Scope last year, where they decided they could make a decision based on part-time play over four weeks. So you know. And they don't they don't necessarily have to make any long term decisions on Grisham at this point. I I think that Brian Braun is going to be on the roster. Ben Gamble is going to be brought back in one capacity or another. Trent Grisham will be in the mix for left field playing time, but he's not have power heading Ben Gamble in the, the lineup every once in a while. That's fine. It's that's good. I'm fine with that. And we'll see. Ryan Braun still hasn't played an inning at first base, has he? No, bull crap. Yeah, well, yeah. they ended up signing Tyler Austin, and he's apparently going to be the guy if, who they want to be like the first base right-handed dude. And I'm, I'm offended. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, uh, last question, and then we'll uh, we'll get out of here. Um, Adam Post asked, "What would be written on the backs of your players' weekend jerseys?" And I do want to point out last night, it came to my attention that, uh, who is it? Uh, Junior Guerra, his is, it's like Cabasone, I think is his nickname. And that means literally big head. And I oh, would so definitely it, use so that. That's, that's yours. Then. Yeah. Okay. Like yeah. that would, that would be mine, mm-hmm. but I actually have another one too. So JP, what would be yours? Mine would be uh, well, and I put this on Twitter a couple of weeks ago because somebody was asking about it. Mine would be a sub, a, a, a sub role two player. Um, because that means like, so uh, on the 20 to 80 scale, that is like 20 is the worst you can have on the scale. And it's thinking about it on like a distribution curve where everybody falls kind of between 20 and 80 and 20 is like the extreme low end. And anybody out, any, anybody below that is like such an extreme outlier that they're not really worth talking about. Um, but I would still fall into that where I would just be worse than any 20 that they could put on any player whatsoever. So yeah, I'd be a sub sub role two player. Mine is just my last name with like five ends before it. Um, like, so that it's the Caddyshack thing where people are trying to distract you if you have my last name, which is what happens whenever I golf. Um, 
which isn't that often. Um, you can go a lot of ways with my last name. You can go high noon, but I'm not a drug partaker, so it gives the wrong message. Um, <laughs> there's a bunch of things you can do off that, but the, the best one is just just doing the Caddyshack with Noonan, and yeah, that's. I would say that be that would be incredible if you were uh if you were like up to bat and then you would have the entire stadium as like the pitcher was getting ready to go just all of a sudden you could hear them start to go noonan honestly I, I can't really perform in the clutch without it at this point um it any sport I do so that I, that's one of the goals in doing so is to get that to happen so yeah it's one of those like what would you say it's one of those things that's analytics can't really put a number on no, how much no. there's no yeah. way to judge that like it's one of those things it's a comfort thing it is uh, uh you know it's a very specific comfort thing and if it goes away there's no way for any analyst to tell it's not there so it yeah it, it is just um totally ineffable yeah so anyway what i would actually put on my the back of my jersey would definitely be prospect hugger for sure as a player that you well like, yeah. the, the <laughs> thing anytime that somebody would get called up <laughs> over here man get over here i've got one job let me get bring it in let me give you a hug i think you would get reported to hr <laughs> all right so um oh you know what i lied we're gonna do one more question because i do want to i do want to do this one i just caught it that it was still on there Enrico Palazzo asks, um, what people who aren't dead yet should we keep an eye on? And this is a very old joke going way back that uh, um, prospects are just people who aren't dead yet. It's a very, very old joke. And uh, uh, is it? Okay. I thought this was going to be like in society. And I was yeah. just like, man, I don't know. There's probably a lot of people you should keep an eye on. He, he's This is a prospect question, JP. So. Who are some prospects? And this was, I think, brought up by the fact that the Brewers had the uh, the Carolina League MVP and Pitcher of the Year were named this week. And the Brewers had both the MVP, that was Mario Feliciano, catcher, and the Pitcher of the Year, who was uh, Noah Zavalos, who came over in the uh, trade. with Which trade was that? Was that the Keon Broxton trade? No, that was the, um, the Domingo Santana trade. Ah, uh, yes. He was the other yeah. piece. It was him and Gamble that came over. Yep, he came over from from the Mariners. And yeah, I mean, I guess it depends on what I, I, there are a lot of guys that you should be paying attention to, I guess. Um yeah, we talked a lot about Zavalis. We talked a lot about uh Mario Feliciano on the Minor League Pod, so if if people want more like in-depth stuff about it, you can hear Ryan and I talk for a couple of hours about these guys <laughs> in back episodes of the Minor League Pod, so you can always go back and do that. But I do think one of the guys that has been uh, kind of on a big tear right now is somebody that actually came over in a trade a couple of years ago. Uh, Phil Bickford has been pitching out of the bullpen and has been on an absolute tear. Um, I've seen some video. I still have questions, uh, but he's just on an absolute. It's He's struggled for so long to A, get healthy, to B, find velocity that he used to have. Uh, but he seems to have found something where he can pitch multiple innings and be able to do it successfully over a period. Uh, so I would say that if like in terms of what has really changed in the last month since we've had an opportunity to uh, do a minor league pod, I think that his stock is at least somebody that like I think if you would have asked Ryan and I three months ago if we were interested in Phil Bickford and like paying any attention to him, we would have said no. And Much like not- we would have said the same thing about Trent Grisham before the year. Um. There was yeah, a, Grisham was showing more. There was still yeah, more I would say, there. like Grisham still would have been somebody that like was in my top fifteen ish. But uh, but yeah, I like I don't even think Bickford would have been in my personal like top thirty. And he's now somebody that I still I don't know where he he definitely would not be in my top ten. But he's still somebody that I'm like paying attention to and trying to determine what's going on a little bit. Yeah, and for me, I think it's man there's really at the, at the lower levels Aaron Ashby is still one that I would say definitely keep an eye on because I think that he has the chance to be you know mid rotation to maybe even a little bit better than that starter but we're going to have to see long term if he can figure out the control part of the game and he has a wicked curveball so yeah I'd say well one of the guys that you should really be paying attention to and I uh I apologize, Paul, if you're going to jump in there, but I, I, I would don't say know that, anything about prospects other than what I hear from you. So I have nothing to say on this topic at all. <laughs> uh, Antoine Kelly has been just getting an absolute ton of buzz lately. Uh, he's been 
just mowing down the rookie leagues. And in some ways, that's not overly surprising. He's a he's a big dude with big stuff. Uh, kind of a a little bit of a ro- like uh, a delivery that causes some people trouble, especially from the left side who have never really seen it before, and and is like basically pumping triple digits with the fastball as a starter. Um, but it's what's been really encouraging for him is that he's absolutely pounding the zone thus far. So he's somebody that I think you're going to see uh, much higher. Ethan Smalls look good. Uh, he's his numbers have been pretty solid um, thus far. So some good early returns from the. Uh, 2019 draftee class, but most of them are not necessarily being challenged at levels that you would expect them to struggle at. Well, Nick Bennett had a, a start the other night that was notable as well, right? Yeah, as I said, uh, dude who is a college senior is not strugg- is not pitching at a level that you would expect him to struggle right. at. Sure. All right. Well, that is going to do that for us this month. Um, you can join our Patreon by visiting patreon.com slash tailgate. Patrons at the ball and glove level and above receive the monthly minor league extra podcast that JP was just talking about. As always, follow us on Twitter at MKE tailgate. You can also submit questions to milwaukees.tailgate at gmail.com or through Facebook um, for Milwaukee's tailgate baseball podcast. I'm going to interrupt you, Ryan. I apologize. I know you're doing the reads here, mm-hmm. but uh, for the Patreon too, that's also going to be getting an extra Packers podcast yes, coming out. Tonight. I want to actually talk about that a little bit, and I can yeah. do it now or after the read. Okay, so oh, go for it. Uh, yeah, if you're in the five dollar tier, um, we're going to get a, a a midweek preview of the Packer game of that week, um, telling you just a statistical nugget or two that can help you both appreciate the game more and fantasy wise. Um, I, I do a lot of breakdowns of sort of just matchups in which corners specifically on teams are weak and what, who has a weak pass rush and who plays into the Packers favors and Packers favor and who doesn't. Um, and we'll start putting that out midweek. It'll be just a little one, like 15, 20 minutes, um, kind of like the minor league pod. Um, but more importantly, um, at the $10 level, we're going to run a fantasy football league this year. And, um, I'm going to put a, a post up on the Patreon, um, with details on that probably like tonight or tomorrow, um, with, little help here but just so you guys know um it will take uh you know a minimum 10 up to you know like 14 or so if you're at the 10 dollar to get priority um i'll be in it at least one of the other guys will be in it um probably matt um and if you win um just so you know i i had to sort through my my prizes but if you win you will get a physical copy of tecmo super bowl 2019 um, hey for the original nintendo entertainment system i have an extra um it is um, semi-legitimate, um, but it's very cool. It is Tecmo Super Bowl. It has all the modern rosters in it. Um, it is super fun to play. It's how I did all my Sims for the last few years. Awesome. Um, yeah. So if you win the if you win the thing, so is Tecmo Super Bowl or Bowl? So just so everybody's clear on this, Tecmo Bowl was a groundbreaking game for the Nintendo Entertainment System that had about twelve teams in it, and is kind of fun to play, but not really very good. Tecmo Super Bowl is much better. Has all the teams and keeps stats for you. So um, it is Tecmo Super Bowl. That is the format of the game. It is the tw- twenty nineteen uh, version of that. So. Dude, that's a way better prize than anything we have, which is nothing. <laughs> for, for the baseball podcast bragging rights. So yeah, yeah. Um, I, I thought yeah. 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 I thought that might be a good little incentive to join in. Also, another incentive is I'm not actually that good at fantasy football, so um, there's one person you'll, you'll probably beat in it already. So good for that, too. Well, I was, I was going to say, like, we've got our baseball, uh, our fantasy baseball playoffs coming up, so we're going to make sure that we give a little bit of a shout-out to those who are going to be competing in the playoffs. Um, yours truly will be in the playoffs, of course. <laughs> uh, so I am going to be, I am going to be looking to uh, dethrone whoever is a top because I am trying to make up for lost ground that I had early in the year. But yeah, the baseball, the baseball league has been going great. Uh, a lot of really good teams, a lot of really good players, and kind of and all. Steve's Duke's been bad, so that's awesome. Steve has been bad, and Ryan's been Ryan's been lucky. Um, <laughs> so, and I say that mostly because it pisses Ryan off every time I say it. Um, but. Yeah, it's been it's been a lot of fun. And so I appreciate everybody who's been because I think the best part about a baseball league that goes over the course of an entire season is it, it's often difficult to find dedicated owners that are willing to do it a bunch and willing to keep up, especially on daily lineup leagues. Yep. And I would say that pretty much everyone across the board has done a wonderful job for the baseball league this year. It's been a lot of fun. So I appreciate it. And a huge shout out uh, to Sean, who consistently gives us good statistical nuggets about who is overperforming 
their expected outcomes for the baseball league. Those are always on Twitter. We usually try to favorite or uh, or retweet those. So you can always find it. But but a big shout out. He's been. I think he is in second place right now in the, in the current uh, the current leaderboard. Though I might be able to overtake him this week. So we'll see. All right. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Overcast, Pocket Cast, and wherever you listen to your podcasts. Uh, you can also leave reviews and help people find this podcast or reporting as eligible. Thanks for listening and look for us again next week on Milwaukee's Tailgate.